I don't just want a plan. Plans are important, but then they usually end up on shelves. And this is coming from a planner. I want to implement things. I want people to have options for how to move. I want to build things. I want to test things. I just want to give people immediate impacts, even if they're small. Just give them something. And this is going to sound so profoundly cheesy, but I actually 100% believe it. I want to give them hope. Welcome back to another episode of Spilling the Tea, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes of the MBTA. I'm your host, Andrew Cassidy of the MBTA's Customer and Employee Experience Department. And in each episode, we'll be diving deep into the inner workings and issues facing our organization. Today, we're honored to have a very special guest with us, Acting Secretary of Transportation, Monica Tibbetts-Nutt. We'll be diving into the dynamic world of transportation policy at national, state, and local levels with the acting secretary, who brings a wealth of expertise and passion to her role. As the acting secretary of transportation, Monica Tibbetts-Nutt is a driving force behind the Commonwealth's transportation landscape. Her dedication and innovative approach have a profound impact on how we move and connect within the state. Join us as we explore the acting secretary's journey her vision for the future, and how she plans to create sustainable mobility solutions and enhance public transit. We'll also learn about the MBTA's and MassDOT's commitment to promoting equity in every aspect of transportation planning and implementation, a testament to the acting secretary's vision for a more inclusive and connected future. So get ready to be inspired as we sit down with acting secretary of transportation, Monica Tibbetts-Nutt. Madam Secretary, thank you so much for joining us here today. Thank you for having me. First off, congratulations on your appointment as Acting Secretary of the Department of Transportation. You've had quite an extensive career in transportation. I was wondering if you could kind of give us a walkthrough of your journey so far. Yeah, I've been doing this a very long time. I'm going to take you all the way back. Let's go. My first job in transportation was making windshields for buses. It was miserable. I did this after high school before my first year of college. I think people call it a gap year now. I just called it I couldn't afford my tuition. So we're going to take some time to work on making windshields. It's actually my first job in transportation. After that, I went to undergrad for political science and sociology. I grew up super poor and I wanted to understand why. After that, I had to figure out really what I wanted to do for a living. And so I ended up going to architecture school. So I'm kind of the weird one. I'm not an engineer. I'm actually a planner, but I went to the College of Engineering in the School of Architecture to become a city and regional planner. I actually started out in housing. I was a housing planner right before the housing collapse, and that was brutal. It was really, really brutal. At that time, I was living in Ohio as a housing planner, trying to understand all of the boarded up houses within the historical communities of color. And as I was going through and inventorying this, I needed to find out who the landlord was so we could start the process of either fully condemning them or then we could also potentially turn it into housing for people who actually couldn't afford to live within the city. And the most depressing part that I found out is that they were actually owned by the city of Columbus. So we were making our neighborhoods look horrifying. And this was about the time they were doing balloon mortgages. And it was just, it was heartbreaking. And then I decided, you know what? I'm going to get out of housing. I was like, I'm going to go do something much easier. I'll go into transportation. (laughs) And that's when I moved to Boston. 
My first job in Boston was at the MBTA Advisory Board. So the T has been part of my life for a very long time here. That was almost 20 years ago now, actually, that I moved here. And my first kind of role was looking at writers, understanding writers, doing a lot of surveying of writers, talking to writers, writing the entire system, talking to elected officials. And the great thing about it is it gave me a very, very deep understanding of transit within Boston and the rest of the inner core. I didn't really branch out much beyond that, at least not in those first couple years. I also learned a lot about budget. What a lot of people don't know is back then the MBTA advisory board was in charge of signing off on the MBTA's budget. And so in addition to looking at writers, I also was part of putting together analysis for the budget, which is profoundly complicated. But I think at that time, I didn't realize it, but it was really, really good training for my later roles. I did that for about three years. And then I went to the 128 Business Council which is a transportation management association, actually the Commonwealth's first one. I think they're coming up on their 40th anniversary. But the other big thing they did is provided regional transportation that was open to the public, but completely privately funded. And the beauty of that is we got to do really, really amazing stuff. We were funded primarily from developers who have ridiculously deep pockets, but it did give us the ability to then close that gap. Because as a lot of people know, especially here in Massachusetts, and this was bad back then, people can't live near where they work. And that meant that people who you know, lived on a subway line who needed to get to work at high paying tech jobs or biomed jobs on the 128 corridor, they would basically end up at either Alewife at the end of the red line. They would end up at Noon Highlands on the green line, Waltham Center commuter rail, and then that was it. And so that's the beauty of companies like 128 Business Council is they close that gap for people. And like I said, it didn't cost the communities anything. It didn't cost the T anything. And that partnership worked out really, really well. And I did that for 13 years. During that time period, I was also put on to the MBTA board and the Mass DOT board. MBTA board at that time, Fiscal Management Control Board. We came in in 2015 after Snowmageddon, really great time to get involved there. And I did that for six years. I got a little bit of a reprieve from 2021. And then going into 2022, I was approached by Maura Healy and her team to help her build her transportation policy for a campaign, then did the transition documents and plans after she was elected and then was appointed as undersecretary. And I did that for seven months, and then I became acting secretary. And I have to say, it's been an unbelievable journey. That does mean that I, in 10 Park Plaza, this will be my third office, which I think is kind of funny. I love this place. I think that's the other thing. I love the T. I love DOT. So it's an unbelievable responsibility, but it is also an honor to be able to serve. And I always remind myself that when I leave here at nine o'clock at night, <laughs> that everything we do every day is incredibly important. But transportation has been a major part of my entire adult life, and it'll continue to be that. I can't imagine ever leaving this industry. Yeah, I just really can. So I'm really excited to be in this new role and really see what's going to happen next and see what all we can do at the T, what all we can do at DOT, because I think, you know, we always talk about we're at pivotal moments. I actually really think we are. 
people are leaving not just parts of the region, but now they're leaving the Commonwealth. And a lot of that has to do with transportation and housing. And so the responsibility of trying to keep people here and get more people here is unbelievably intense. But I actually think we can do it. And I've thought that at every phase of my career in transportation, that it might be difficult, but we'll always find a solution to it. And so, yeah, that's really been the guiding principle for me. Serve and find some solution to these problems because it's always going to be there. You just got to stick to it. I think you're uniquely qualified with such an eclectic history, firmly entrenched in transportation, but with humble upbringings with the bus windshields, but also the human centric piece to it. It's not just, you know, physical trains and roads. There's the actual riders and commuters who utilize them. We recently sat down with the MBTA's general manager, Phil Ang, and he shared a lot of that same optimism, you know, a complete acknowledgement that there is a lot of work to be done, but very much up to the task, which is great to hear, especially when we know what is in front of us. I know it's still early and I'm sure things are kind of still being fleshed out, but what are some of your key priorities as you assume this new role? What will your administration look like? And I guess, what will that mean for the riding and commuting public? I would say what this administration is going to look like is we're going to represent the people we serve. We're going to look like the communities we serve. I think when you talk about priorities, it's really difficult. People like to narrow in on very particular projects. And I think that is something I really try and get away from. And so my priorities are very, very large. I would say the first, dealing with climate change. We're a filthy, filthy industry. We're the biggest contributor. And I think it's not just working to change out our fleets. It's not just working to better connect people in cleaner ways. I really do think it is a reimagining of how we operate transportation. Battery electric buses, battery electric trains, hydrogen planes, hydrogen boats, all of that is actually fairly simple. Getting people out of their cars, that's the really difficult part. Climate is going to be a really, really big focus because it has to be. We are seeing the impacts of climate change every day. Every summer is getting hotter. Every winter is getting hotter. And it's not just the impact on our communities, it really is an impact on our transportation system. It's going to break down more. It's going to be really difficult to meet all the demands when you have parts of the system needing to be shut down, parts of our roadway needing to be shut down. Climate change and addressing the climate crisis in our transportation system is of the utmost importance. It is my number one priority. I would say after that, it's really looking at connecting all of the Commonwealth, making sure that everyone has access to public transit. We have 351 municipalities. Only 171 of them are served by the MBTA. I think that that's something a lot of people don't think about. I think traditionally, when people were living in the inner core, living within the 495, it made sense that only 171 were connected how it was designed. It was designed for urban communities, suburbs, the bedroom communities. The commuter rail goes out a little bit further, but it's priced at a ridiculous price that very few people can afford. It's really focused, like I said, on bedroom communities, white collar jobs, that kind of traditional 50s setup. And that's just, that's not how it is anymore. And I think when you talk about a place like the Commonwealth, housing is so incredibly expensive, and that's if you can find it. 
that has forced people to move out of the inner core. It's forced them to continue to move out of the inner core. So we're pricing people out of the inner core and then punishing them by not having transit access and then are surprised that you can't get workers in these companies. The problem is so immense. The answers are so incredibly difficult. I think it is probably, other than the climate initiatives, the most important thing, because like I said, people are leaving Massachusetts before, you know, if things were expensive in the inner core, okay, someone moves out to 495. Okay, things are expensive there. Well, then you move to Worcester. And this isn't just people, it's the businesses, you know, they just keep moving and moving. And now we're competing with states that have better investment in transportation. They have better investment in bike paths, pedestrian paths. They have better investment in not just affordable housing, but a full spectrum of housing. They have lower tax rates for businesses. We're competing against places that seem almost like utopias (laughs) compared to us. So how do we address that? Because it isn't just, like I said, it isn't about people not being able to afford to live in the neighborhoods they want. It's If Massachusetts continues to lose people, we lose money. And that lost money then impacts our transportation system. It's just such a horrible, vicious cycle. So I think for me, it's getting really creative. I am mode agnostic. I love buses, but any way that I can move a lot of people in a way in which you don't have to own a car at a price that you can still live, it's of the utmost importance. So it's looking at regional transit authorities, looking at local transit systems. How do we spread those systems to meet the MBTA and in places to fill in those gaps? The MBTA is in a very difficult position. They don't have any money and have a billion different things to do. And even if they had all the money, the amount of time it takes to do so many of these projects, I'll be retired by quite a bit. My daughter will probably be doing this by then. And so how do you think about the future on that long range, but also think about the future within the next five years, within the next 10 years? And we haven't quite done that yet. We finally, for the first time, have a secretary of housing. And so he and I are partnering because if we don't make that connection between housing, transportation, and economic development, we're never going to be able to solve any of this because we absolutely need each other. I'd probably say that that's a major focus, giving people better options. The thing we're going to be battling on that is zoning. Because Massachusetts has to be strange in every possible way. We don't have county governments, which means we're negotiating with 351 municipalities. I feel confident in this administration. We're going to be able to tackle it. But it has to be about every possible mode we can find. And it has to be about a full transportation package. So it's not just the T that's looking at our highways. And I think the other big problem there is going to be VMT reduction. That's a beast. No one ever wants to talk about that. Can you go further into that? So the vehicle miles traveled, that is the thing that is destroying our air quality. It's the thing that's causing so much congestion. I mean, we have the second worst traffic congestion in the country, some of the worst traffic congestion in the world. And everyone talks about, well, you know, the reason people are driving is because there isn't better public transit. And so it's completely the T's fault that our VMT is not going down. It's T's fault that, you know, our communities are choking on their air. And here's the thing. It isn't. It is 100% not the T's fault. Our highway systems are the ones making the air quality horrifying. The cars sitting in traffic 
are making our air ridiculous. And it's also making it to where people are spending so much time, so much money trying to just get to work or school that once again, it goes back to you're just pricing people out of here. VMT can only be reduced. And this is only, this isn't just my opinion. This is backed by all of the research. VMT can only be reduced by basically making it too expensive for people to drive. You talk about congestion pricing, tolling. There are many different levers, but none of them are positive. If you make transit lower cost, which you 100% should, transit is a public right. It is a service that should be provided as part of living in the Commonwealth. Do I like free transit? I'm not against it at all. But I think free transit, lower cost transit is an equity issue. It is not a solution to climate change. And I think when you start to put those two things together, that's when it makes it impossible to address either. And so I think that's why making climate such an unbelievable priority for this administration is essential, because otherwise we focus too much on one problem to the detriment of the other problems. And then it puts you in the same position of just kicking the can down the road, which is what many administrations have done. And it's not just here. I mean, it's across the nation. It's across the world. But now it's come due. We've run out of time. We've more than run out of time. And we really have to think much more thoughtfully about this. But that does include, you know, we always are going to like carrots. Nobody's going to like sticks. I like to think about some of the things, you know, some options are sticks. Some of them, as I like to tell my team, are more like pool noodles. just like <laughs> a light hit. But we're going to have to start thinking about those hits. But if you're not thinking thoughtfully about what other options you give people, wealthy people who are already paying tolls are not going to care. I would say for a lot of people in the comment, no one's looking at your easy pass statement. You're just not. But for some other people, that dollar guess what? Their kid's not going to be able to eat. It makes a big, big difference. And I think I think about it a little bit differently than some of my predecessors because I grew up in extreme poverty. So I know that that dollar actually matters. But the pricing of transit is not going to impact VMT. We need to do both. But I think if we don't really start to be very upfront about that, and take out kind of the politicization of this situation, then we can actually fix it. But transit and transportation have become so politicized. They become these balls that everyone throws around. And we talk about, well, this person did this wrong. Well, they should have done this. They should have done this project. They should have done this. 50 years ago, they should have done this. At the end of the day, it actually doesn't matter. Because the riders, the residents are the ones paying the price while we sit and argue about projects. My priority in this administration, my priority with whatever time I get to serve in this role is doing as much as I possibly can. I'm kind of a nerd. I'm a politics nerd. So, I mean, West Wing, obviously, <laughs> guiding light of, of course, my life. Of course. But there was this movie, The American President. I think it came out maybe when I was in junior high. And I mean, I am a nerd. I've always been just like very absurdly obsessed with politics. And this movie, The American President, I love it. It is probably my favorite movie. And there is this line in there. I actually have this written on my whiteboard a lot of the time when I need to remind everyone why we do things. It is more important to do my job than it is to keep it. I don't care how long my tenure is. I really don't. I do care about doing as much as possible with the time I have. Because many people don't get that chance. 
And for my demographic, there is absolutely no reason I should be in this job. None. (laughs) I have everything going against me. I am the first black female to ever serve in this role. I'm the second black person to ever serve in this role. My daughter gets to see that her black mom has got a shot at this to make things a little bit better. I am not going to waste it. I'm absolutely not going to waste it. Not for one day, not for one minute. I think it's so refreshing to to hear someone who's in a position of power, who is so undeniably passionate and dedicated to the act of service, to the actual core function of not just transportation, not just getting people from A to B, but the secondary and tertiary effects that transportation provides. It's very exciting. And again, paired with a new general manager and everyone else who's really pushing for this, you know, it's, it's a struggling, difficult time, but there is still that optimism, which you just can't underplay. So very exciting. If we can't do it now, I don't know when we can. We have the perfect alignment right now. And I think people are open to it. And I think we're in a level of desperation and crisis. We have a shot at this. We really do. Having a new general manager who's bringing a new perspective, a new administration bringing a new perspective. And I've known you for about five years now. There's no reason someone as talented as you or a lot of the people in this building should be here. You can go make a lot more money doing a job that's significantly easier. (laughs) But I think that is the passion. And that is the thing that will always keep me going, is that there are thousands of people here and out in the field who care so dearly about this because the sacrifice is immense. It really is immense. Our families pay a very high price for this, which is why I also think we can't waste it. It can't be for nothing. Absolutely. I uh, randomly bumped into someone today who ended up being a new applicant for a bus operator. He just went through his interview process. He's going to start his training soon. He mentioned exactly that. He's previously been an Uber driver, a Lyft driver, Amazon delivery person. He wanted to have an impact. And I think that's something that people don't necessarily understand. But there is this call to service, you know, the desire to improve upon your community and, you know, make some place better for future generations. Absolutely. What can the average person do to help realize these aspirations? You're at the head of the Department of Transportation. You have your job cut out for you. Same is true for the general manager. What can the average person do to keep this moving forward, to build that better T, to make a better mass thought? I used to say this all the time on the board. Hold us accountable. Hold us accountable. Do not let us say something and then not follow through. Don't let us talk about our values, our priorities, and then let us get away with not following through on that. And I think it then goes back to, like I said, accountability for what we do. Talking about us not doing a good job on Twitter, on LinkedIn, TikTok, in the newspaper and things like that. I think a lot of people say, you know, why are they always beating up on us? Can't you ever talk about something else? And I get it. I don't like the things people say about me. I didn't like it when I was on the board. Not many people have said anything horrifying about me quite yet. Give it time. But it held me accountable. And people wouldn't be so passionate if it didn't have such a major impact on their life. So hold us accountable. I'm not going to say the usual thing where it's like, come out to public meetings. People have lives and they have many things to do. Coming out to public meetings is a pain for most people. If you can talk to other people about it, if you see us on transit, trust me, my 
Dennis brings this up every time I get my teeth cleaned. Talk to us. Tell us. Tell us what your problems are. Tell your local officials what the problems are. Tell your kids. Just talk about it. Talk about it. Never stop talking about it. But I do. I think the accountability is important. And I think oftentimes officials like myself will complain about it. Like, they're just never happy with any. No, they're not. 100% not happy. And it's justified. So I would. I would just say keep holding us accountable. Don't forget the things we say. Because I, you know, I have definitely said things over the years that at the time I thought I was right. Really thought I was right. And... Having done this for so long, I think especially on the board, a lot of people love to dig up things that I said when I was on the board. I'm never going to lie about it. I will always explain why I thought that at the time. But also sometimes I'm just wrong. We're just wrong. And I think that shows for all of us who will just own that a level of accountability. Just don't let us get away with anything. That's the biggest thing. Just don't let us get away with anything. Residents deserve better than that. And we owe them more than that. Like I said before, very refreshing to hear. I don't think you're going to find a lot of people in any level of politics or government in any way, shape or form saying those words. So, again, it just speaks to your passion for the role. Well, also speaks to why it's so surprising I got in here. (laughs) But we'll see how long I can hide out while doing stuff. I'm looking forward to seeing what you do while you're in the role for however long that may be. I guess while you are in this current role. What is your vision for transportation in Massachusetts? And I know that's a very large question, but what is that vision that you are chasing, that you're pushing forward and that you'll be trying to achieve every day that you are? Give people more options. Central and Western Mass are really, really important right now. They're building a full spectrum of housing. They're making the right investments. They're doing really well with their schools. They're giving people more options. I really want to better connect them. Not just into the T, but into other parts of the Commonwealth. Same thing with the North Shore and the South Shore. Just thinking outside of the inner core and also pushing the inner core communities to build more housing. That's my goal. I want people to have options in where they live, where they work, where their kids can go to school. Just want people to be able to access a better life. And You know, we do really, really great roadway projects. I just wish we had less cars on them. I think there have been some really great investments in, you know, upgrading the T, making it safer, thinking more thoughtfully about long-term maintenance. But expansions of the system just aren't going to happen anymore. We just don't do those level of projects. And in the United States, especially places that have these legacy systems, they don't do those projects anymore. So I think Spending too much time focused on a particular expansion project, I think, can be very distracting. I just would really like to use buses better. I would like to use local ideas, whether it's looking at extending a bike path or setting up a smaller bus route when you see where people are living and where they're going to work and just using that data. But I think actually even more important than that is not focusing so much on the data of where people are going and not so much on the data of density, build it, build it, and then they will be attracted to it. And so I think that does take a major shift in transportation planning. That's going to be a really big focus. Like I said, just making everything a little bit cleaner, 
giving people the opportunity, whether it's school buses, private buses, MBTA buses, to get battery electric buses. As far as the trains, doing the best we can to switch those over to electric, that's going to be insanely expensive, take a really, really long time. But I think doing some of these interventions in the meantime are really important. I don't just want a plan. Plans are important, but then they usually end up on shelves. And this is coming from a planner. I want to implement things. My plans are very simple. I want people to have options for how to move. I want to build things. I want to test things. I just want to give people immediate impacts, even if they're small. Just give them something. And this is going to sound so profoundly cheesy, but I actually 100% believe it. I want to give them hope. Just want to give them hope. I've had an unbelievable opportunities in my life and I've been very lucky. I did work hard, but I think also there's a little bit of luck in there to be able to come from a family where not all of my family members graduated from high school. And now the acting secretary of transportation, that's wild. I want to make that pathway more accessible to more people within Massachusetts. I love the Commonwealth. I love it so much. I'm not from here. I've lived here going on 20 years, met my wife here. My daughter was born here. This is my home and I want to make my home better. I do. I just really want to make my home better. Those are my goals. That's my priority. That's what everything is going to be focused on. How we get there, I think we'll figure it out. But I think just being much more thoughtful about our investments, holding elected officials accountable, not letting them talk about projects and then not fund them, not letting them beat up on the T and then not give the funding needed to fix it. And I think making them deal with the fact that so many of them have every privilege in the world. So how in the world would they understand how much it means to someone to be able to live in a home they can afford and get on a highway in which we don't sit there hours at a time. So I just want to fix it all. You know, just want to fix it all. But no, I think I'm really focused on the first three months. Focused on the first three months. And if we go as hard as we can for as long as we can and not stop, I think we can do some really cool stuff. So overall, I just want to make the Commonwealth a better place to live. I want to give people more opportunities in their life. Just want to do cool stuff. I think that wraps it up. I mean, it doesn't sound good if I was doing like a speech or something, (laughs) but I do. I think that's the essence of what I really want to achieve. Thank you so much for joining us here today, Madam Secretary. We're definitely going to be having you back on at some point if I can get on that schedule of yours. But thank you so much and good luck with the road ahead. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And I have to come back because you have to hold me accountable. That's right. That's what we're here for. Thank you so much. Thank you. As we wrap up this incredibly insightful episode with the acting secretary, I'm full of hope and optimism. Acting Secretary Tibbetts Nutt's dedication to shaping a transportation system that's not only efficient, but also equitable, sustainable, and innovative is truly inspiring. I want to extend my sincere gratitude to the Acting Secretary for taking the time from her busy schedule to join us and shed some light on the interconnected workings of transportation and the path forward. To our listeners, thank you for being a part of this journey. Remember to subscribe to Spilling the Tea on your favorite platforms. If you have any thoughts, questions, or ideas for future episodes, don't hesitate to reach out. Your engagement ensures we continue to bring you valuable and insightful content. Until our next episode, I'm Andrew Cassidy, and this has been Spilling the Tea.